Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet, the go-to podcast for parents with multiple kids, especially those with twins, triplets, or more, who are navigating the maze of modern family life and personal finance. Whether you're overwhelmed by education or retirement planning, parenting dilemmas, career transitions, or trying to define your purpose and plan, we're here to guide you with empathy, encouragement, and expertise. Hosted by Paul Fenner, founder of Tama Capital, a certified financial planner and parent to four kids, including a set of triplets, our podcast is your ally in the quest for financial peace of mind, proving that money matters, but family comes first. Subscribe now and join our community of empowered parents at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What does comprehensive financial planning even mean? At Tama Capital, it means a family office where lifestyle planning such as retirement, college, portfolio management, tax prep and planning, all are under one umbrella. But it goes beyond numbers. We focus as much on the emotional side of financial planning as we do on the financial side. We get you. We understand your challenges of building a family, business or career, and a healthy life. We are devoted to wealth planning for families like yours because we are you. Learn how our family can help your family by visiting TamaCapital.com. Parents, when you hear the two words, college planning, what are the first thoughts that enter your mind? Is it fear? Is it the, oh my gosh, we're not ready for this, both financially or mentally? Today on the show, I have Heidi King. Heidi is an educational consultant that helps parents transition through the college planning years, both from a planning standpoint, an emotional standpoint, and to a certain degree, a financial standpoint. This is going to be a great initial conversation into what it takes to go through the college planning process. A lot of people think it's just about saving and financial, but we're going to learn today that it's much more than that. Please enjoy my conversation with Heidi King. So I think, Heidi, the best place for us to start is with this quiz that you showed a group of advisors, I don't know, probably back in October at the FPA Michigan Symposium. And the, and the question that you posed to all of us was, as a percentage, how much has tuition increased nationally at public institutions since 1990? And so th- your options were 73%, 106%, 180%, and 213%. And I loved your last one. I may need uh, my TI-35 calculator. And I think the number that I picked was 180, 180% increase. I think if I remember right, the the consensus of the group, I think, was either like 73 or 106. It was even lower. And I'll let you tell the audience what was the what was the answer? 
Yeah, for public institutions, the increase is actually 213%. That's the highest of all of those numbers. Pretty shocking. So the question is that I ask as a, as a father of, of four you know, triplets plus one, and a lot of, a lot of parents are, are, are our audience that listen to this podcast. And so full disclosure, you just went through, the reason why we're having you on is to talk about one, your professional experience, and we'll get into College Inside Track and what you do, do there. But I think just as important, people want to hear from you as a mom of two boys that just went through this college planning experience um, on your own. And so to kind of tee that up, going back to the question we just asked, why is this increase so large? Yeah, for sure, fire outpacing other industries. I think that's the, um, also part of the equation. It's how come this specifically has gone up so much? And, and some of it is just because of changes back decades and decades ago. Uh, federal funding used to come a little bit more through the states where the tuition itself didn't get passed on to the families as such. Um, the other reason just for increases would be, you know, the idea that education is something that probably people are willing to pay for. Um, so they don't, not all universities need to keep their costs low for the purchase of college. So, you, you hear often about, you know, when, when we went to school, there weren't all the, um, oh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the niceties, if you will, you like, it was, it's, it was a luxury if your dorm had AC, uh, it was a luxury That's if true. there was a really nice dining hall, it was a nicety if it, you know, you had, um, you know, good food on campus today, like you go to some of these colleges and it's just amazing. Like the athletic facilities, the um, classroom settings with tech and like some of, you know, I know my alma mater, Adrian College, you know, they have a full-blown TV radio production studio now, which didn't exist before, but they, they now offer those types of communication degrees as majors, which weren't an an option when, when I was there. And it, I think some parents see those things and like, well, is is that really what I'm paying for? Am I paying for my kid to go to basically club med for four years uh, versus actually getting, you know, what they need out of it, which is experience in, in education? Well, you know, I mean, it's a good point, right? I went on all those dorm tours myself, and it definitely seems like infrastructure is a necessity. But luxury is a pull from a marketing standpoint for the colleges. So in order to keep up with the Joneses um, in the next state, there has to be, um, you know, to a certain extent, they are choosing and making choices um, based on the market and what they think will pull more students in. So they won't lose kids to the other universities nearby. So I would say um, true on that. Meaning I do see some of our universities having to compete with other universities, you know, maybe SEC. 
big football, right? They get a lot of money from big football or athletics. And then maybe some of the schools that don't still need to improve their dorms to compete. Now, from an academic standpoint, there is a technology. At some point, you have to be at entry level or above to serve the student in a digital world. So I do think that some of those enhancements and improvements are probably super beneficial. I know as a mom of two boys that was looking through business schools, you know, the idea of, um, you know, certain technology was a factor, frankly. New building for the, for, you know, the business would garner more attention from my kids thinking that they were going to have access access, you know, to different, you know, just technology. So I, I guess that's twofold in terms of some of it is to keep up and some of it, it needs to keep up. So we've, you, we've talked about just the pure increase, the triple digit increase of, of tuition. But why is it that, what are some other aspects that are making it harder for families to afford college? Yeah. Oh, several factors in play here. Um, the first factor that comes to mind um, as far as making college, you know, more difficult for us to afford is the federal direct student loan that students get on their own without a parent co-signing. That amount that a student can get hasn't changed in over 30 years, 40 years. It's still that's the, the that's the 5500 initially that that freshmen get, correct? Exactly, exactly. So freshmen get a certain amount, that's 5500. Sophomores get a little more, 6500. And then juniors and seniors get $7500 for each year where they don't need mom and dad or a grown up to Cosine. So it's $27,000 they can get. If you think about what $5,500 covers, doesn't cover tuition at more than 90% of schools. So it's harder because parents are having to be way more involved in the purchase of college and just paying for it year to year to year to year over four years. Students can't do it on their own. Very, very, very challenging. If you think of 90% of schools, that loan won't even cover tuition, let alone the you know, housing, should they stay on campus. So um, the fact is parents are having to pay for college more than they used to 30 years ago. Um, other factors that are making, you know, college just more challenging. And um, there's a new test optional landscape as a result of COVID. Because of COVID, testing centers actually closed. Couldn't take the test, couldn't take an ACT, couldn't take an SAT, right? Because you have to be at a testing center. So as a result of those testing centers closing, Test optional landscape, which to be fair, had started 
but it is a new amount of testing centers that you just couldn't even take it. So colleges made test optional landscape a an opportunity for kids that weren't able to take the test to apply based on other merits other than the test. Because of this, so many kids massively applied to colleges in droves. The percentage of kids applying to schools has increased 30, 20% easily at many, and I would say most of the flagship and or tier one and tier schools. Think about that. They are getting so many people apply, they don't need to discount anything to you. It's, it's like buying a new- It's basically supply and demand. I was actually hoping you were gonna get to these stats because when you covered this in the presentation that you that you did for us, that those were the numbers that were that I was blown away with. Obviously, the tuition increase was is just huge, but you know, I doing what I do and working with enough families, I, I see that. But I don't think that parents see the ultimate increase in people applying that leads to your point you just made is that why do these institutions need to discount, especially like these, as you call them, flagship schools like Ohio State, Alabama, UCLA, especially like with us. So for full disclosure audience, Heidi is based in the Chicagoland area. As Mm -hmm. most of you all know, I'm in Metro Detroit. So we're in the northern part of the states. And a lot of these kids these days that I talk to and parents, their kids want to go south. They want to go to Florida, Florida State, Alabama, Auburn, out west. And you know, those are you know, those those schools know that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. It is it is such that and there's such an influx of applicants to them that some of those flagship state school, um, Georgia, and most recently Tennessee, have had to implement policies where they're gonna take their own students first. They're just going to take the top 10% of all applicants, which is similar to what Texas does. They're going to take the top 10% of their all their in-state applicants. Assuming they don't fill up the class from there, that is when they get the out-of-state folks. And they just won't need to give out the minimum scholarships even to us as out-of-staters, right? You know, my kids did the same. Find many, many, many state schools. And overnight, we have seen a difference from one child to the next, applying with similar stats. They just gave out fewer and fewer merit scholarships uh, just because of COVID and the increases. A typical yearly increase for those schools would have been 2%. We are talking upwards of 20% and sometimes 30 Wow. Yeah, 2 and now we're seeing, because of the test optional landscape, they can just apply without a 29 or a 31 or a 34. They know they can apply because they have the GPA. Mm-hmm. So they lean back on holistic admissions. And it is definitely overwhelming the admissions officers. They are just having to read through more and more applications as well. So, you know, if you can imagine that, they're having to hire more people. I was going to say there's uh, a cost component to that for the schools. Yes. 
And there's a cost component for us as families because applying to schools is not free. Typically, it's 75 or 100 bucks. So all of a sudden, what would be typical, we recommend when we work with families, six to 12 schools, apply to six to 12. More than that, it takes a ton of time to make an individual um, you, you know, application matter from school to school. There are small differences that you can make that will make a difference to the college as they read them. If you're applying to 20, that's very challenging to differentiate yourself and differentiate the school. So, and then mom and dad, you're having to pay the difference and potentially just $1,000 more to apply to that many more schools. And, and trust me, you know, we, we have to give pep talks to our kids to not do that. They don't need to. They don't need to for successful emissions and it's costing us too much money. So one of the things I want to get into is this concept of, of yours that you call right fit. Uh, because yeah. I think that's that was a really interesting point that you made um, that has a cost component to it. But let's let's come back to that, but stay stay on this for one more one more yeah. topic, if you will, is does this changing landscape does that create opportunities for other schools to step in and and kind of other than these flagship schools offer something that most people may not be thinking of. So for example, like if somebody's set on going to Alabama and they're going to be paying out the nose, if you will, is is this an opportunity for that conversation between parents and 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 student, if you will, to say, okay, we know you want to go here, but can you consider these other options which may be a better fit financially and academically as well? Yeah, for sure. So the conversation is about right fit. Um, but right financial fit is part of that component. So potentially um, cast a wider net. If you primarily have a school fit and you think of that in the initial search, then just take a road that is potentially less traveled. Seeking out schools that don't have to turn down 90% of their applicants is the road less traveled. And it is often more strategic and you won't lose the component of right fit at all. Matter of fact, it might be a better fit, you know, because you're at a college that isn't busting at the seams and having to put kids in the Holiday Inn because their dorms can't fit you. Off-campus housing, huge problem. They don't have enough space at some of these colleges to house the amount of applicants. They are still reeling from that. Now, have they level set? Mostly. Um, they are having to build more dorms at some of the campuses. So absolutely, we we definitely recommend our families if, um, you know, who wants to overpay for school, right? So if you need to and want to leverage and be more strategic, it's considering other schools that might not be the most well-known, but are still fabulous opportunities. I mean, get outside, think more than the top 10 lists you know, is what we, we help with. Um, and I would, you know, impassion people. There's so many, 4,000 schools, 4,000 There's a lot schools. of choices out there. There are a lot of great choices out there. 
um, doesn't just have to be our state flagship school in order for us to, because really the, all these other smaller schools and these medium-sized schools, they want to compete for those super smart or those super, you know, collaborative, you know, um, kids. So let's, let's actually stay on this, on this topic of, of right fit. Can you, can you go into a little bit more detail of what this concept means and, and how it can impact both financially and the emotional decisions that go into this? Because, you know, like, like buying a new house, there's a financial component and there's an emotional component. And just like buying a new house, you know, paying for college is going to, for parents is going to be one of the most, um, biggest investments they're ever going to make. And that's the thing that as what you do as a professional and what I do and working with families going through this college planning process is to really help people manage the emotional side as they try to grapple with the financial side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So getting um, deeper into what right fit means for your individual student. That is what I think we would like the light bulb to go on a little bit brighter, right? So many different opportunities because I it is college marks the first step into independence for these kids. It is actually typically the first time a child gets to choose the school based on something other than it's at the end of the street or in our town. Right. So it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. So think a little bit bigger, but also think a little bit more individually. What does your child need? So we break it down like equal parts of a triangle. Right. It is right academic fit, right social fit, both for the student. And then that last piece of the triangle is right financial fit for the family. All three equal. Now, most of us parents, and I can say this, you know, I totally understand two kids in college right now. Most of us think about it more like student driven. Where do you want to go? Where are you going to succeed? Where do you want to live for four years? Right? But at the end of the day, if we get those financial award letters and don't want to pay for the school, or literally shouldn't pay for that school, it is extremely hard to say no to your student when they have fallen in love with the school that you can't afford. So that is how we are getting over our skis and potentially purchasing something that we, if we had been a little bit smarter or knew a little bit more, or the school had been a little bit more transparent, which what they were going to cost us, those are problems, right? that we can't necessarily control and are challenging. So when we work with students, it's about earlier having these conversations with, you know, Paul and, you you know, these, this idea of what are we about to purchase and how do we think about it? So academically, what kind of a learner is my student? Where are they going to thrive? Are they competitive? Are they collaborative? Do they need to have experiential learning components earlier in the process? And what does college give? Does this college give that or no? 
And then think about that. Really, what kind of a learner are you? The idea of a competitive school seems wonderful. Sometimes you mean to be big fish in a small pond, and that is okay. You know, a little bit of what's my major going to be? And then am I going to have um, the ability to change my major and frankly, learn, learn, be exposed to other subsections of a career for better growth about who I want to be as, as an employee, as a worker, you know, that's the, that's the best scenario. Now, kids love to talk about the vibe, the social fit, right? You know, right. where do I want to be? Where am I going to find my people? And frankly, this is important. Because for the people that the kids that transfer, it's typically because of friendships that they felt like they didn't fit in and they didn't find their friendship. So I don't mean to diminish it. It is going to be the number one factor in something that could be expensive that they have to transfer. So social fit. Um, will they find their people? Um, is it uh, the idea of being big, small, or medium? What are those components? Greek life, no Greek life big sports events, or I would rather play my own sport, not necessarily watch somebody else. All parts of the equation, super important when you're thinking about, and warmer, right? I haven't met a kid yet in our area, because we are Northern, that doesn't want to go to the beach and sometimes the mountains, right? That right. idea of going out to Colorado, so important. And then the last part for us, and this is where you do come in so helpfully, is the idea that it is okay to have boundaries on what you want to purchase and how much you want to spend. And think of it from a four-year plan. So very important. If you have this amount saved, break it up. We have this amount of saved. Well, hey, we're going to put that into four years. Not just we're going to pay for the first two and then figure it out from there. That is a disaster and usually leaves families short. Yeah, that's a dangerous, dangerous situation to get into. There was a lot to unpack there. But one of the things that you mentioned, because I just wrote an article about these three um, right fit topics. Again, it was academic, social, and financial. And and uh, a reader responded back and asked the question, and I get this often, is, Paul, when do you start talking to your kids? Is it seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, senior year in college? And my, my approach has always been, it's never too early to start having conversations. And, and for me and my own personal experience, it goes, it's, it's starting to have conversations right now with my, my kids. So my triplets are in seventh grade and my plus ones in sixth grade. And it's, you know, it's, and it's not like, (laughs) It's more of a general conversation. Like they know they have money in their 529 plans. They know that they get money for their birthdays or for Christmas and it goes into there. And, uh-huh. and you know, I'm quite honest about like, this is how much you have in there right now. And my one we- daughter, um, Madison, like one of her, she's already got a list, which <laughs> on some levels is, is kind of like disturbing because I'm like, I don't want her to feel that pressure. And I think one topic I want to come back is, is, these are 18-year-old kids trying to decide what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And I think that's a lot of pressure to put, put on kids is try to figure out what their major should be. Some kids, they just naturally know. I think for most of us, you know, speaking for somebody that changed majors, I think four times, um, but was still able to graduate in four years, 
it was was a miracle in and of itself. Um, but but having I think that pressure is can can be a little scary. And so, yes. but like Madison, for example, Notre Dame, because we're huge Notre Dame fans, mm-hmm. is on our list. And yeah. you know, I totally blunt. Like, do you realize how much Notre Dame costs? And and this is how it kind of works. You're either super smart and they give you a full ride, or or you have to pay the entire bill. It's like one or the other. There's no in between, hardly. Well, that is true. So this is the flexibility in pricing for schools, right? Some schools do not need to be flexibly priced. Right. Notre Dame is one of them. Again, it's like buying a new iPhone. Apple doesn't need to discount that yet. Right? So they're, you're just going to have to pay full price to a school that's highly selective. So those schools that have 25% and below acceptance rate, so like Notre Dame would be somewhere probably between 10 and 15%. They don't need to give you merit money for a carrot to come. They don't. Right. But they will do a good job is covering a percentage of financial need based on salaries and income and assets. You know, so that's another thing. You look for schools depending on what your goals are. Um you know, it's it, sometimes um, having a variety of schools on there can be beneficial. Um, but at the end of the day, we not, we always want to make sure it is okay to have that. Let's find out a school that might be similar to Notre Dame, that feels like Notre Dame, that gives you that vibe of Notre Dame, but at the end of the day, wouldn't be north of Seventy-five thousand. I was gonna say eighty thousand dollars. It's it's still hard to say those those numbers out of my mouth, Heidi. Um, yeah, and it might be. It probably is over eighty thousand dollars because they don't really do. Uh, a, they, you know, they cover need, but they don't necessarily cover merit for the applicants. And and for what you're saying, seventy percent of the kids, seventy percent of the kids switch majors by the time they're freshmen and sophomore. Now, four is is excellent that you were able to uh to you know be able to do that in four years and the so reason why is they, they had some similar there there was some overlap between the the four different majors i was i was in and then i actually went to to summer school for my i think my for two summers which which was how i ended up getting yeah. out yeah time that's that's super it's it's the intentionality and the giving yourself the opportunity at the end of the day um you know being able to stay in and study more typically enriches you. Uh, I know it doesn't necessarily feel that way necessarily at 20, right? <laughs> you know, but looking back, it's a gift to be able to stay in and study a little bit more in hopes that that may um, broaden who you are. So I want to come back to the, to one of the financial impacts that I think of you, that you mentioned about right fit, especially now that we're talking about transferring, but let me mm-hmm. come back to the, the question I posed which was uh, how how early do you recommend uh-huh. talking with kids about this? Yeah, this is a good question. So I would say you don't need to wear the hat of thinking about college every week when you are 12, seventh grade. But I think it is um, the awareness of do they want to be on track? I have to, to laugh because having this podcast for almost three or over three years now, we talk a lot about transition 
uh-huh. and transitions and transitions and it always comes back to this keyword awareness. And yeah. So like that's oh. the it's always the buzzword. You hit it. You hit it already, Heidi. Awareness. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you know, um, do you want you know? Let's keep on track for things and give us options. I think that was what my messaging was for my kids. Like it was okay if college at the end of the day wasn't for you. It does not need to be a traditional path for everybody. Um, but it is nice to keep your options open. So you do have options at the end of the day. Um, I think there are lighter conversations and intentionality. Those earlier years in middle school, the real college conversations from a student standpoint can kick in freshman year, sophomore year, and junior year because most colleges don't accept grades past junior year. Now, some California schools don't even consider freshman year grades because they know there's such a transition between eighth grade and freshman year. Oh, that's interesting. They, which can be a huge benefit because I can't tell you how many parents I meet say, oh, freshman year was a doozy. You know, we weren't ready. And so this had the, this bubble, this bubble, whatever. Um, so I guess understanding a little bit of the opportunities, um, but leaving the doors open. Freshman year, there's uh, an opportunity to just kind of be a freshman and consider college. And then that just increases with every year knowing that junior year is a big, big, big year in college process in student study for your own high school time frame, but also in starting to hone in. And this is something that, that I guess was unfamiliar to me as a mom. I didn't realize the parallel importance between the tasks your junior year in college while also being in the most academic, stringent, uh, and challenging year of high school. There's a lot to do as juniors. So um, breaking those tasks out are so important. So they don't have too many stressors at the same time. So coming back to Right Fit, I think in specifically talking about the interesting financial component to this. Uh So Mm -hmm. meaning we're, we're looking at making this huge investment trying to get the right fit school and it doesn't end up being the right fit. And you threw out some numbers about what the financial impact of not, of, of, of getting this wrong is. So we, we kind of let off, you know, with, you know, college tuition is exploding. You also noted that, um, you know, the federal loans haven't kept up with the, with inflation of college. But I think another interesting piece to, to the work that you do and that you were pointing out is, What's the cost of having the transfer? Yeah. Can you yeah. can you dive into that a little bit? Because I I found this like really interesting. I, again, especially from somebody with personal experience of transferring schools. Yeah. So it is very so two things. First of all, you are with all intentionality super excited to head off to college. Um, it is a big, big, big step in independence. And then emotionally, if you get there and it's a bust, it is challenging to go through that emotionally. You're so disappointed that you want to leave school. So you've got an emotional component. 
to being unhappy, happy, unhappy enough that you want to leave school mid-semester, in the semester. But financially, it, it, it increases. One transfer increases the cost of college by $14,000. And 38% of kids, statistics right now, 38% of kids that are heading off to school end up coming home and transferring. So just from an economic standpoint, you're adding $14,000 to your degree. Now, interestingly enough, if you dig deeper into those statistics and those challenges, those kids come home and then they try to go to school again. You know, they level set. We're going to go to community college. We're going to work for a little bit. Now I'm more grown up. I'm a little bit more... Um, you know, maybe I've got my study habits in gear or my priorities a little bit more in order. So you go off to school again. Statistics show that because you are now significantly older than the incoming class, 45% of those kids that go back again, transfer. That's for so a second time. So the stats are 38% transfer one time. Of those 38%, 45 of them transfer a second time. The cost to that is twenty four thousand dollars. If you have total for the two, um, so twenty, you're adding twenty four thousand dollars to the cost of your degree by transferring. If you have to transfer, um, and so it is so so very important to have these deeper conversations about right fit, so you can avoid those transfer statistics. Stop following your friends to college or just think about it in terms of warmth and or far away. Just have deeper conversations about what does this college get you? And are you, you know, is that meet your own personal goals? Learn more about who you are in the conversation. So I should have told you, I'm like, we're going to, we probably need to make this like a two-part series, maybe even yeah. a three-part mini series, because we <laughs> haven't even got to, uh, financial aid, which is something I wanted to get to. And so we may not have time. So hopefully (laughs) you're willing to come back. Uh, What, what, what I, what I really want to get into is this podcast is about stories. And when I first got to know you and you told me your story, I'm like, this, this has got to be shared. So can you walk us through how you came into the field of college planning, college financial planning. So my previous profession and yes. how that all happened. Yeah. How did that all walk, walk our audience through how that happened? And, and I think that's, I think that will kind of lead into an area I want you to expand on as well about sharing your personal experiences going through college planning with, with your two boys. Yeah. Yeah. So I did have a previous career, um, more than 20 years um, working for UPS as an airline pilot. Um, I had flown airplanes since I was a junior in high school, Um, was fortunate enough to go and do that um, in the 80s and 90s as a profession. Um, Got on with UPS, worked my way from 747 flight engineer and somewhere in that 20-year mark, um, ended up having a health issue that has me retiring after 20 years, which was um, 
a little bit of a surprise to have to retire. But um, sometimes those things happen for a reason. So I had a great 20-year career as a uh, pilot flying 767s and Airbus A300s for UPS. So um, I was retired, mostly raising my kids, enjoying that time as a mom because I had spent so much time on the road flying internationally. I was going to say you were gone all the time. I was gone all the time. I would be gone like, you know, between 12 and probably 16 days a month, depending. Um, so um, it was clear that um, staying home was the right thing. Um, so I really looked forward to the opportunity of choosing um, and you know, heading into the college search with my kids. We started doing that with baseball tournaments when they were freshmen. Um, we were in Ann Arbor. We would go have a burger on campus. Um, you know, a baseball tournament at Vanderbilt. Um, hey, let's walk around that campus. Visiting grandma in Florida. Let's go see a football game, you know. Um, but here's the deal. They weren't going into professions that I knew about. Matter of fact, I knew less and less and less about their professions. And it was clear that I was not necessarily coming at this with current information. So challenges started to bubble up um, that I didn't foresee were happening just because I didn't have the expertise in something because their admissions are very competitive. So we didn't know what grades you needed, what test scores you needed, what, what was a good essay. And I think that was so incredibly frustrating and just got more and more frustrating between the two kids. Um, and so when I had an opportunity to come back into the workforce, that, can, can I just ask Heidi? Sorry for interrupting. Is is that just because you you did? It's like that old adage: you didn't know what you didn't know. Like there was no, you, you didn't you didn't. There was no resources that were screaming like, "Hey, this is what you should be doing." Like you kind of yeah. felt like an island on your own. Yeah, I mean, I talked to the mom groups and the friends as best we could. Right, I intended. I attended some lectures at a library or that the school would put on, but it wasn't until the admissions officer at Miami of Ohio, right near us, called our family and said, you know what? Your son is a fabulous applicant, but he is not going to get direct admit into the nursing. And you know what? He didn't put down a second choice on the common app because frankly, he did it on his own and didn't know that he should. And so here we had spent years visiting schools. And at the end of the day, we were just short. And if it wasn't for the kind person in an admission office calling personally to myself, we would have no idea how completely lost we were. And so truly, this is why I do this. It's because I do not want other families to be misinformed. And so every podcast, every library, that I can speak to, to just give other people a little bit more awareness about current admissions, what is costing us as families, and then how to just do a more strategic job on the front end so you are not getting those phone calls eight weeks after your son applied. And then now you have to figure out what to do and add more schools to the list because he's not going to get a direct admit into the field of his choice. So I, you know, I, just hearing you talk about that, I, I hearken back to my own experience, you know, growing up, you know, in rural Michigan. And, you know, I had, I only had one school as well and it was Notre Dame <laughs> and I didn't mm -hmm. get in. And mm -hmm. my backup school was 
IU at Bloomington and I got in and then they sent me the bill. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay for this. And then, and then, you know, I was lucky some kid I played baseball with since I was like, I don't know, six, seven years old, uh, got into, well, at the time it was called GMI. Now it's called Kettering. And he's like, well, you know, if you want to go into engineering, this would be the place to go. I'm like, it's pretty hard to get in and, you know, you see, and I ended up getting in and, you know, it, I ended up going there my first year, absolutely hated it and transferred. Uh And so it's like this, this whole conversation we're having, like, it, it feels like I'm going down, you know, memory lane again with, with my own experience. And, And I think, the the word that you've used over and over now is that awareness and and having these conversations. I think this is where having conversations with kids early on yeah. is great, and just sh- being able to share your experiences, like what did you go through, um, and trying to to help them. You know, whether it goes in one ear and out the other, uh, who knows? But at least at least you're trying to let them know that you know this is what you should be thinking about. This is what, you know, mom or dad experienced. And, you know, we want to try to help you, you know, find that, that right fit. Yeah. And I, I, so I think the conversations are important. And I think sometimes pausing between them is important because um, there is a lot of messaging. Kids are under a lot of stress as far as their next steps. And you do not need to talk about college all the time. You know, at some point they get to be and they should get to be high schoolers, you know. So there's sometimes some boundaries. This is the idea of we're only going to reserve Sundays to talk about college. I, you know, there and I and I say that with um, real intent. Um, you know, I, I know that every time I see my niece, she's kind of fearful. I'm going to talk about college to her, right? <laughs> you know, because she doesn't want any more messaging. So some intentionality and some, um, you know, the opportunity of weaving it in and then also letting them be kids, being strategic, knowing what's coming in as far as the opportunities, and then also just letting them have the chance to work through the high school things as well, I think can be also just important messaging. Yeah, I think that's really great insight. I was just having a conversation a week ago with with uh, another advisor, he has um, twins that uh-huh. are seniors this year, and that's what they did. Him and his wife, they basically put in guardrails where, like, we're not going to talk about college every day, mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. at least have to talk about it once a week. Yep. yep. And he and he said that that was a game changer. He said I could see the pressure come off of me and my wife. Yep. Um, pressure came off our kids. It wasn't like this, you know, intense battle, if you will. Um, yeah. So we just said once a week, we're going to check in and and see where, where we're at with things. And so I think what you just laid out and what this example was, was, was a great, you know, recommendation. Um, I know I only have you for a little bit more, more time, Heidi, but if, if you could leave us with, you know, maybe one or two key strategic things that I think are important to you, both as a professional doing college planning, but also as a mom, I think that would be great. And then just so we can get you on record that you promise you're going to come back and talk <laughs> about the FAFSA because that's another topic that we could, that'll take a whole nother hour, I think. But I know that's another topic that I get asked about all the time, especially now that the, Anyone? all the new changes has happened with the FAFSA. Yeah. Let's do like, um, we can do an hour on the FAFSA. 
Plus the the facile form is we are we are days away from actually seeing it. We've only seen um like the beta version of it, right? So um to be continued on all that financial aid stuff. I'm I'm more than happy to do that. Um and then but what I'm can you review a little bit more about what um you had to probably repeat the question that you wanted to ask. Oh me. yeah, and that's and that that was bad etiquette on my part because like I as I learned to be a better uh, uh, interviewer, don't ask multiple questions at the same time. <laughs> um, right. So my my last question is around what what would be like one or two things that that you would recommend parents do today as far as um, being able to make strategic choices around college planning is it as simple as just getting a schedule down to have conversations about college with their kids so that's that's really what i I wanted to leave our audience with maybe a one or two more your golden nuggets if you will that they could take away yeah yeah i do think that um the idea of please understand these i i recognize as a mom how important these are I also want you to understand you are not imagining um, there does often it does fall on the parents to have some more layered conversations. Um, my kids go to a fat went to a fabulous high school in the suburbs of Chicago. But the reality is, is that when you have one high school guidance person for 270 kids, you are not necessarily having individual conversations about what fit means for your child. So wanting to help is very familiar to me. Choosing to help at specific times and being smart about the opportunities can mean the difference between you enjoying it or literally just arguing about it all the time. So understand It is not too soon to start thinking about the tasks at the end of your sophomore year of high school. Some kids are absolutely ready to consider standardized testing, how that can play a role in their lives, Um, and then junior year. So it's what can we do and when to make all of this more, um, the approach more intentional, more purposeful. So at the end, at your senior year, you can enjoy being a senior and going to homecoming and doing all those things that you want to do. The worst scenario is that families don't know what they don't know. And then they are waiting until their kid potentially takes the reins. They often don't take the reins until the beginning of senior year in high school. So back that up, re-engineer it and do a little bit more purposefully within that year ahead of time. Because Application season, senior year, comes fast and furious. And get those Excel spreadsheets out and have those conversations for organization and potentially a checklist about what we're going to do so you can get out of it and the kid knows what's coming down and what they're in charge of. Splitting up those roles. I think that can be huge help. Well, I think that is a great segue into my my closing question. As I as uh, I look at the clock, I'm like, okay, I got minutes left here. Um, this is a, a question I ask all my guests, and I think I can't wait for this answer from you. Is what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh gosh, um, 
the best thing about being a parent, really, I love to be um, on their journey and be a part of watching them grow, mistakes and all. Well, I, I knew you were going to have a great answer. And that's why I love asking that question because of almost 120 plus episodes, everybody's question or everybody's answer is different. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate the journey that you've helped us go on today, which I think, you know, it's just the beginning and I can't wait to have you back on to uh, go through the, the FAFSA, which I know is another hot topic that a lot of uh, listeners ask about. So Heidi yeah. King, I can't thank you enough. And uh, College Inside Track is the name of the company that you work for on college planning. We'll be sure yeah. to um, put in our show notes a link to to that and as well as a couple other resources that we talked about today. But Heidi, thank you so much for all your insights and yeah. uh, can't wait to have this uh, next conversation with you soon. Yep. Thank you so much for featuring and helping your families through this. And I really appreciate um, have getting to know you, working with you and having an opportunity to be on your podcast. What you're doing is awesome for your family. So thanks so much for including me. Thanks, Heidi. All right. If you've enjoyed this conversation, could you do me a favor? Do you know anyone else who would enjoy these types of conversations where we talk about the intersections of our emotional and financial lives? Because if you do, it's actually going to help both of us. Could you share this conversation with someone? They will think you're great because you just gave them this terrific podcast and it helps me grow my audience. Or you can tell them to go to TamaCapital.com. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.